All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Ezra chapters 5 and 6, we'll try to get both chapters done this morning. And let's pray, Lord. We thank you for this time we've had so far in singing. And as we dive into your word, we pray that um, these two chapters where the world was at odds with the building of Jerusalem and is now today going to be on their side, um, that we as your people um, need to continue on with what you've called us to do, regardless of what the world tells us, what we can and cannot do. Um, Help us to settle that in our hearts, to make a Make it very clear to us um, where we stand, where the lines are, and what you expect from us, and and, uh, give us the boldness we need to stay within your bounds, but but bold. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Paul encourages the young pastor... Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. And here's why. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. The prayers offered for the government and for those in authority are for them to leave us alone (laughs) and to let us do what God's called us to do. And um, as we go through these two chapters, I think we'll, we have a very good representation, a good example, a good picture of what it looks like for a, a believer to walk in a world that isn't necessarily walking with the Lord. And what it looks like for a person of faith in Jesus Christ, what they can and cannot do um, according to God's word. And so last week we, we saw that a letter was written to uh, the king, the prevailing government, is saying, did you know that these Jews are building a, a city with big walls, that they've got a rebellious background, they don't support you, um, they won't support you once it's finished, um, you're going to lose a lot of tax revenue, all, all encompassed in this one letter. And the king said, well, you're right, we've looked in the, and researched this group, and yeah, they are problematic, so stop them. You need to stop them. And they did. And so the work was ceased. And um, that was a lesson for us, too. That it, it, That's why we pray in First Timothy. That's why we offer these things up, because there is a, an element of power there, an element of force that you have to reckon with. And it is much nicer when you can go on with your walk without any confrontation or without any pushback. But you get pushback. And they did. Well, now God's going to push back. Through his prophets. In verse 1 of chapter 5 of Ezra, then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the sons of Edo, or the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the, uh, and uh, Jeshua, the son of Josedak, rose up and began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Well, they haven't got a letter yet that says they can do this. And so they get a letter from the king saying, stop, and they stopped. And now they've got wisdom coming from God through the prophet saying, why are you stopping? Get on with what I called you to do. And the prophets told them that God says, get going. In other words, disregard the letter. This verse in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, which is one we quote often, 
when it comes to the governing authorities over us is mistaught so much that we have got it in our minds. Most Christians have it in their minds that we're just supposed to be subservient. (laughs) I'll stop there. People and do whatever they tell us to do whenever they tell us to do it. And that is absolutely not what God has called us to do as Christians. Absolutely not. Here's the verse. Verse says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority or the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, and that's where they stop. Can we read the third verse though? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. You want to be unafraid of authority, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. The assumption here for verses 1 and 2 is that the government is doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. When they're not doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, that's when our relationship ceases. Now, this is a controversial topic and will be today. But we've got to understand this, and I'll back it up with Scripture. This isn't my opinion, and I'm not waving the the flag and all, let's go storm. But I do, I'm doing you a disservice if we don't get this in our heart and straighten it out. Because if you were in Germany and they said, round up all the Jews, well, the governing authorities told us to do it. I guess we better do it and let's throw them in the ovens because that's what the governing authority, no, that's evil. Absolutely rebel against that. That's absolutely not okay. And it took Dietrich Bonhoeffer kind of a long time to figure that out as a pastor, but he got it. And a lot of the pastors did, but a lot. In fact, most of the pastors in Germany didn't get it. So I'm a little impassioned about this. We need to know this stuff. Because if the governing authorities tell us to do something we're not supposed to do, according according to Scripture, then I go with Scripture. We always go with God. Always, always, always. Some Scriptures to back this up. Here's someone who didn't exactly follow the letter of the law but they kind of followed the law with Moses. It's in Exodus chapter 1, 22 through chapter 2, verse 1. So that goes through the both verses. The break is right there at verse 22, and then we go into chapter 2. But here's what it says. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born to you shall be cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Well, governing authority said. So... Verse 1 of chapter 2, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi, and so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. That's not what the governing authorities told her to do. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. So technically, she did put him in the river. But that is not the spirit of the law. The law was, I want that baby boy drowned to death. We don't want him to live. You putting him in a boat is a violation of the spirit of the law. Well, she violated the spirit of the law, but tried to keep it. Now we'll go one step further, where you absolutely violate the law. Acts chapter 5, verses 28 through 30. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us, said the prevailing authorities. 
But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey a God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Pretty blunt, and it's absolutely not going to happen. We will not obey that command from you. We will talk about Jesus. We had to get this right in our hearts. We have to know that. Most of us have never grown up in a country where we'd have to make those choices. It's always been understood that we're going to follow Jesus as a country. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. All of our laws are based off the Bible. Uh, most of our governing principles are based off of the Bible. It's, it's, it's there. We have to decide where that line is for us. When will we and when won't we do what we're called to do as Christians? Or what's the line? When do I say yes to the government? When do I say no to the government? Well, it's simple. When they line up with scripture, absolutely. I'm all for obeying the speed limit. Do it. Go for it. It's funny. We'll break that, but we won't do some of the other things that are more deep. Follow the speed limit. Pay your taxes. Do what you're supposed to do, you know, but... When they ask you to do something that's contrary to God's word, you need to be careful. You need to be very careful. There's an interesting struggle going on right now where um, I remember when I grew up in grade school that my parents could come into the classroom anytime they wanted to. They had to give notice, but they were going to come in and sit and listen to one of the classes. Absolutely. Of course you can. Not anymore. Why? Privacy concerns. We have privacy concerns. There are other students there, not just your student. There's privacy concerns. Okay? So then the HIPAA rule that we apply to medical, right? Let me read that to you. HIPAA is a medical thing. What does it have to do with school? I'll make the connection. HIPAA privacy rule establishes national standards to protect individuals' medical records and other personal health information that applies to health plans, health care clearinghouses, and those health care providers that conduct certain health and health care uh, transactions electronically. The rule requires appropriate safeguards to protect the privacy of the personal health information. It sets limits and conditions on the uses and disclosures that may be made of such information without patient authorization. The rule also gives patients rights over their health information, including the rights to exam, examine, to obtain a copy of their health records, and to request corrections. We don't have a problem with vaccine passports and demanding those kind of rights. So those rights will violate all day long. But it's when it suits. It's when it suits them. Be careful about those things. Be careful about those things. You ought to be able to sit on your child's class any time you want. Anytime. And if you've got a school board that won't let you sit in on a class, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. Absolutely. So why do I say all this? Because there are times when the government isn't always right and we don't always have to go along. You need to be careful that we don't become people that are We've been neutralized as a restraining force on this earth. As Christians, that's what we're called to be. We're a restraining force. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, does not dwell any place else on this earth, but in the believers of Jesus Christ is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is a restraining force against evil in this world. And if we neutralize ourselves and no longer allow the Holy Spirit to be that restraining force, evil will swallow up this world. When we are removed, when the rapture takes place and the believers are vacated from this earth in a rapid departure, the Holy Spirit goes with us 
And you want to see evil like you've never seen evil before? Thus the great tribulation period. We're called to this. When the prophets tell these guys, get up and start building, nobody told you to quit. It's basically what God was saying to them. Nobody told you to quit. And the prophets jumped in with them. I love that. The prophets said, yeah, they grabbed a hammer and they began to do a work too. They weren't just telling everybody, you better go do that. And then they'll go hide in caves. You know, they took the heat. And I felt very convicted about that. So I'm taking the heat this morning. It's very public. So if I tell you to do this or encourage you to do this because God's word says so, I'm standing out there too. Verse 3, it will go a lot faster. I know two chapters, right? Better hurry up. At the same time, so they, they see these guys start building again, and the governor of the region beyond the river of Shether, Bosnai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them, Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish the wall? Who told you you could do this? Who gave you permission? I don't have to ask for permission. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Who said you could do that? Me. <laughs> then accordingly, we told them, but they're above board, man, full disclosure. They told them the names of the men who were constructing this building, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. This is the copy of the letter that, uh, Tataniah, the, the guy, the governing guy, sent to the, the ruler. Here's what he says. Basically, the governor of this region, beyond the river of Shathar Bonsai. I want to say Bonsai. It's not really Bonsai, but I'm going to, I'm going to say that anyway because it's kind of funny. Bonsai and his companions, the Persians, who were in the region beyond the river to Darius the king. All peace, let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones. These, they, they ain't just stacking rocks over there. I mean, this is a serious building project, heavy stones. And timber is being laid in the walls. And this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they were returned us an answer saying, we are the servant. Full I love this. Who's doing this? They're not like, well, we don't tell you anything. I'll tell you exactly what's going on here. We are the people of God, and we're going to build what God told us to build, and we're going to do it. There's no, they're not, they're not milk toast. My dad used that term a lot. Many of you don't know what that means. Spineless. Uh, they, had, they had intestinal fortitude. You know, they had guts. Yeah, I'll tell you who's doing it. We are. We're doing it. We got permission. We're the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we're rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God, also the gold, the silver articles, um, of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple that was in Jerusalem uh, and carried into the temple of Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to the one named uh, Sheshbazar, which is Zerubbabel. That's his, uh, that's, that's, his, that's his name. They got two names, but one was the Babylonian name and one was the Hebrew name, whom he had made governor. 
Remember, Zerubbabel is our leader at the time here. And he said to them, or said to him, take these articles, go carry them uh, to the temple site that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Shesh Bazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But, uh, but from that time until now, it has been under construction and it is not finished. Now, therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is in, there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build the house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send us uh, his pleasure concerning this matter. So they're kind of tattling, but in a less confrontational way. This new group is saying, hey, they're, they're building this temple over here. We wonder if you knew about it. So here's what he says, verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1. Then King Darius issued a decree, and the search was made in the archives where the treasury or treasures were stored in Babylon. And um, Akmetha, uh, in the palace that is in the province of um, Media, a scroll was found, and in it a record was written thus. In the, and here's what it says. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree, a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundation of it be firmly laid. Its height, 60 cubits. Its width, 60 cubits. With three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber. Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury. Also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Titania, or whatever your name is, governor of the region beyond the river, um, and Sheth or Banzai, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, Keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. That answers chapter 4 last week. When chapter 4, they come alongside and say, can we help you build? They said, you absolutely can't help us build. And that's why they got mad and wrote the letter, because they wouldn't let us build with them. Well, this is in the original decree. We're reading the scroll that we didn't have before, and it actually says in there, you guys stay away from it. You guys can't touch this construction project. All you can do is what he's going to write next is give them the stuff they need to do it. But you stay away from it, and you let them do what they're supposed to do. This is from the governing authorities. The secular governing authorities are telling them, build. Go for it. And you guys stay away from it. You let the Jewish people do it. It continues, moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews. Here's what you can do. You can't put your hands to the work, but here's what you can do. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is taxpayer-funded religion. Let that sit there for a while. We need a separation of church and state. Nope. Absolutely not. Nope. 
Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes in the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offering, the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Now, I know it's a monarchy. It's a little bit different. I don't know how to make a direct comparison here. But we do have something similar. It's called a 501c3. That the federal government grants a tax credit or tax break for religious institutions. And we have one of those. And some of the guys at Calvary think, why do you have one of those? You don't need one of those. You are a church. You don't have to tell them you're a church. You don't have to get permission from them in a church. I'm like, all right, settle down, boys. Uh, 501c3 gives us that opportunity to go ahead and buy, purchase, do whatever. We don't have to pay tax on this land. I mean, if we did, it'd be interesting. Um, tax on the buildings, we don't have to pay tax when we purchase things for the church, as long as it's for the church and not for personal use, whatever. And so they give us this. Now, that's fine. I'll use that until they try to have influence. That's what the, that's some of the other guys are like, well, they're going to have influence over you now. And they're going to, no, they don't have any influence over me. No, you, really? Do you not know me? Absolutely not. They're not going to have influence over us. And as soon as they try to exercise influence over that, they can have their 501c3 back. And we'll just do it anyway. We're just going to do what we're going to do. We're using it as a tool. It's an absolute great tool. The government, when they came up with this, the law was written by Christians who said, we need to give Christians this tax break. They're beneficial to our society. They're beneficial to our to our communities. We need them. They're, they're on the forefront of fighting evil. <laughs> if we don't get people saved and have them know Jesus Christ, we're going to have evil run rampant. We have to get people saved. They understand that. That's a benefit to have these groups like ours. It's a good thing. And we're moving away from that. We're only moving away from that because people don't recognize the benefits of Jesus Christ. Because they don't want to have this man rule over them. They will not have this man. We're not going to pay for this man. We're going to do any of this stuff. This king literally told them, you know, you're going to use the taxes from that region. You're going to help them build this, and he's going to pray for us. Because he is the God. A recognition of that. We get confused sometimes about where we're supposed to stand and what we're supposed to do. It's okay that our government loves Jesus Christ. It's okay. If as a Christian, we do not understand that the only hope this world has is Jesus Christ. If we're still under the, under the illusion that the world is trying to put on us, that there are other religions that are of equal benefit and value to our country, where you don't know Jesus and you don't understand your faith. Christianity is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus. Everything else is a deception. Everything else comes from Satan. Everything else is to g- confuse people and to pull them away from the truth and away from the light and into darkness. We have to be settled on this as believers. So yes, I vote for Christians. And school boards need to be run by Christians. And city council members need to be Christian. We need believers in these positions of authority. And if you're ever thinking about running for these offices or positions, this would be a great time to do it. You know? It's just interesting how we see this example here for us. To help us get our minds and our hearts right. I think 2020 did a lot for us. I think it was an interesting year. I think it drew a lot of lines in the sand for a lot of people. And we figured out maybe what we believe. Or maybe we need to shore up some of our beliefs. 
and didn't understand liberty, didn't understand some of the things that we had taken for granted or how far is too far, you know? There's, there's a lot of things happening right now, and I think these are these stories that come up in Scripture at, at such a time as this. We're coming across these chapters for a reason. It's for us to solidify and understand what our calling is as ambassadors for Jesus Christ on this earth. I have no other purpose on this earth other than to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ on this earth. And that's what I'm going to do. If that costs me my life, it costs me my life. But that doesn't change. None of that does. And I know that the only freedom any of my unbelieving friends can have is through Jesus Christ. And so I will be bent on reaching in and letting the gates of hell not prevail against the church. And we will reach into hell and we will pull people out and we will tell them about Jesus. I don't care what the government tells us we can do and what we can't do. We've got to do that and have that in our heart. To not do that is to watch and read and relive history of where believers sat and were quiet and submissive and didn't do what God calls us to do, which is he has not given us a spirit of what? Timidity. We're not to be timid. Why does he say that to us? Because that is our fallback. As believers, we're called to be humble and quiet and nice to each other and loving, and we somehow equate that into sitting down and being quiet. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep my head down and see if nobody notices. Uh Uh-uh. No. We're vocal. We're loud. We love the Lord. We're not afraid of Jesus. We're not afraid to tell people about Jesus. We want them to know that he is the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by him. That message never, ever changes. We have to make the Bible more relevant. It is relevant. It just is. We don't make it more relevant by the way we, what we wear or how we speak. It's relevant because the oppressors are out there and they want to keep people oppressed. And we have the only means by which chains can be broken and oppression can stop. We have to know. So, verse 11 also. I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it. So if anybody comes against this edict. Now, um, in the West Bank, they have an interesting tactic over there in, in Israel. Now, they don't do this necessarily, but they will knock down your house. We will knock it down flat if you come against our country. If you are an, an agitator, if you are a violator of our land, and, and are a terrorist in our country, we will knock out your house. And that's why you see the bulldozers in the West Bank. And that's just not fair to the, no, 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 stop terrorizing Israel. And this won't happen to your house. And so we see this taking place. This is a version of that anyway, happening in the West Bank. Now the world, how does the world see it? Oh, 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 it's just terrible what's happening over there. No, no. Why did it get knocked down? He just fired a few rockets just a few, he just blew up a couple bombs on a bus or two. We don't have that anymore over there. You notice that bus bombing is stopped. I don't know if any of you remember the history. When the bus bombs were going off constantly in Israel, these guys who would get on, this Hamas would get on these buses and blow themselves up on these buses that were mainly packed with Jewish people. Constantly, constantly. And finally they said, enough of that. We're not going to be sheep at a slaughterhouse. And so they began to get on top of that. And they began to do this. Nope. 
And so they have a version of this taking place right now over in Israel. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. Get on it. Well, that's not the answer they expected. Then uh, Tetanii, or Tentani, however, governor of the region beyond the river. Call him Tiny. That's a good one. Then Tiny, governor of the region beyond the river, Chef Banzai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophecies or prophesying of Haggai and the prophet, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they built and finished it according to the command of, of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. So it took him 20 years to build this thing. Finally got it done. Um, uh, then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy, not timidly, not scared, just with joy. I can't believe we built this. This is wonderful. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs. And as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. We did just what we're supposed to do. They began to reinstitute all these sacrifices, which should have been done, but because God had taken them captive, it hadn't been done. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land uh, in uh, order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And I, I underlined that because I think that's very, very important. Everybody was allowed to eat at this table, including the Samaritans. Remember that mixed group at the time. Not their fault, they're mixed. There's nothing they could do about it. It was part of the, uh, the Assyrians' plan. But if they had separated themselves from the filth of the other nations, they were allowed to eat. There's a separation that we're called to as Christians. We're called to be different. We're called to separate. We're not supposed to look like the world around us. We're not supposed to act like them. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be on God's side. We're supposed to be uh, proclaimers of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be those things, walking in love. We're called to that. Um, and some, as I say that, I know that there's, well, yeah, love. And you haven't been very loving this morning. No, no, that's just it. We have. The things that have been talked about this morning are loving. The world is under the spell and under the, 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 the bondage of Satan. That's what Christ came to do. He understood the sins of the world. It was just overwhelming to him. And he came on a love rescue mission, and that is to defeat Satan, to absolutely defeat him and his grip over all the people by taking the sin upon himself and going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world. That is loving. Calling it sin, acting upon it, and saving people from sin is love. And so when we're called to, I, I see such 
child abuse through neglect and apathy taking place right now in our country. It's not loving to do what we're doing to the kids right now. To let them be taught whatever. I don't know what they're teaching them, but it's probably fine. It's probably okay. Find out if it's fine. Look into uh, well, look into all of it. But that critical race theory is very, very dangerous. It's instituting racism back into our country again. It's an interesting time we live in, as we saw more minorities vote for a person who they're not supposed to vote for. And the people who always expected that vote would always get that vote, saw that decline. And the very people that used to wear the white hoods are now instituting this same theory back in, exclaiming that because of the color of your skin, you are, whether you know it or not, racist or a victim of racism. Therefore, categorizing all groups of people, despite who the individual is and their character, making assumptions about that person, which is exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. fought against. It's the exact opposite of what he embraced and taught. And that is to shore up the division and to get the votes back. It's a horrible cycle we're in right now. And we need to stand up and understand it. And understand where that comes from. It comes from the pit of hell to divide people like that. I told you it was going to be a little controversial this morning, but I've, I'm done. So they separated themselves. And for 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my son and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We're called to be separate, different. Not out of the world, in it, but not of it, you see. We're called to be impactful in this world. We should stand. We should know what we stand for. We should be out loud about it. And there should be an effect in our lives. Verse 22, and they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the kings or the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God and the God of Israel. God did that. God changed the heart of these kings. God moved it. It's a time of benefit. It's a time to come back. It's a time to rise up. It's a time to rebuild. And I want you to do that. Even though there's going to be adversaries and pushback, believe me, God says, I'll push back also. Now, as we get into chapter 7 next week, there's a 57-year gap between 6 and 7. Understand that. We pick up in 7. This is when Ezra, the writer of this book, actually joins the group and leads a second group back from Babylon. First group led by Zerubbabel. Ezra is narrating that for us, letting us know what happened historically. And now he joins here in chapter 7. As a different kind of man, God uses three different kinds of people in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. The first one is the builder. He's the pioneer. He's establishing. He's figuring it out. 
He probably has the toughest task. Ezra comes back as a spiritual reformer, trying to get people on track. And he's known for pulling out his own beard at the sins of the people around him. He just wishes they'd follow the Lord, you know. The third guy, Nehemiah, he's the third one that everybody needs. He comes in and pulls out their beards because he's tired of them living for anybody other than God kind of thing. And we'll see how all three of these men are used and how God really wants us to have all three of these attributes in each one of us. A heart for people that breaks when we see sin and we see them falling into sin. But also a heart that says, I'm going to help you get out of this sin. And I'm going to tell you the truth about it, like Nehemiah. But first and foremost, just pioneers. Knowing what the mission is. Knowing what we're called to do. And knowing that we may be the first ones stepping on this soil that no one has ever gone before us. And okay with that. To be alone. To stand with God. And as long as God is on your side, to stand there. Have that pioneer spirit of Zerubbabel, that heart of Ezra for the lost and the people that are falling away. And then the Nehemiah in us, it needs to help people get out of that. I'm not here to coddle you in it. I'm here to help you out of it kind of thing. And we'll see that here beginning in chapter seven next week. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the example we have in scripture. Um, we see your heart. Um, we see your boldness, your authority. You can change the hearts of kings. You give us direction. Um, we love that, and we need that in our own lives, Lord. Help us to understand what we believe, to know what we believe, to know where we stand, and that we would not be moved. We'd be unshakable, Lord, in what we know about your word and what we know about you and who we are and who we represent. Um, help us to be steadfast, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good rest of the day. If you need prayer, be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, uh, enjoy your week.